If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. The title of today's message is Grumbling Over Grace. Grumbling Over Grace. For the past four weeks now, we have been walking through Luke chapter 15 together, uh, what we've titled the sermon series, Lost and Found. And what we have seen over the past four weeks is that Luke chapter 15 is a response of, of Jesus to the Pharisees. And what Jesus does is he tells three separate stories in response to the accusations of the Pharisees that Jesus is eating with and accepting sinners. It's that accusation that is the springboard for the three stories that we have walked through. In the first week, we looked at the story of the seeking Savior that went after the lost sheep. In the second story, we looked at the woman that searched for her lost coin. And then last week, we saw the lost son, the story of the prodigal son, perhaps one of Jesus' most well-known and famous stories that he's told. Like I said last week, is a story that's known outside of Christianity of the prodigal son who left the home but came back. Today, we are going to look at verses 25 through 32. A lot of times when we hear the story of the prodigal son, that's where we end at. But if we look at chapter 15, that's not where Jesus stops. Uh, for some reason, this, this, this latter half of the story, the, the continuation of the story of the prodigal son is often ignored and kind of forgotten about when, when really this was kind of the penultimate moment of the whole entire discord that Jesus had given. This was kind of the final straw that he was given to the Pharisees who he was speaking to. And honestly, I think that a lot of times we skip over this back half of the story of the prodigal son because it can hit close to home. Uh, you know, when, when we look at these stories, you know, there are some that, yes, we, that we have been the prodigal son who has left the home and been rebellious and gracefully and thankfully been restored back into fellowship. But I believe in our churches and for a lot of Christians today, we are probably more so this elder brother that we're going to look at, who even though he was in the home, even though he never left, he still had a heart that was far from the father. At this point in the story that Jesus is telling, I can imagine that the Pharisees probably felt confident that they had escaped Jesus's judgment. It seemed like every single time the Pharisees would accuse Jesus of something, that Jesus always had a rebuttal that would, would just convict them. Well, it actually didn't convict them, but he always had a good comeback. Jesus was the king of comebacks. And so at this point, the Pharisees probably feel like, well, Jesus has been telling all these stories, but he's talking to the sinners and the tax collectors. He's not talking to us. They probably feel like they kind of got off the hook. And then Jesus continues, and we hear this story of the elder brother. Like I said, the elder brother pictures one who is involved in the things of God. He's one who is at home, but sadly, his relationship with the father is non-existent. He might be in the father's house, but he's still lost. He, he didn't go to the far country as far as a physical place, but he was in the far country in his own heart. So as we look at this story, the one thing I really want us to, to recognize, the, the one thing I kind of want us to see is that the self-righteous heart of the elder brother was just as much in need of redemption and repentance as the heart of the younger son. 
And that's what Jesus was trying to get these Pharisees to see. He was, he was trying to show these, these Pharisees, these religious elite, the people that, that did all that they were supposed to do. He wanted them to see that, yes, I accept, I embrace, I seek, I chase after sinners, but I'm also chasing after you because you are in need of a Savior just as much as these tax collectors are. So as we look at this narrative, really what I want to do is I kind of just want to walk through the story together. And as, as I walk through the story, I just want us to listen carefully and just ask God, you know, God, in this, in this, this conversation Jesus is having, who, where do I stand? Where am I at? Am I the younger son or am I the elder brother? I think that as we look at the elder brother, there's primary two classes of people that Jesus is speaking to. I think the first class is those who are lost in sin and need to be saved, who need to be redeemed, who need to repent of sin and come to the Father. It's the people that might be religious, the people that uphold all the moral standards of society, that are faithful to church, that do all they can to gain favor with God, yet they never have established an actual relationship with the Father. And then on the other hand, I think that there's a word in this message for those of us who are saved yet continue to have a self-righteous attitude just as this elder brother did. So as we examine this text, just let's pray, let's ask God to search us, to show us that we would not be like the Pharisees and that we would listen to his word and we would allow it to convict us and to change our hearts. So let's start, let's, let's pray real quick and then we'll dive into the text. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day you've given us, God. I'm so thankful for the honor and the privilege, Lord, to stand here and to open your word and to look at what you have to say, God. God, I pray that as I preach this text, Lord, that you would give me grace. I pray that you would give me clarity of speech, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would uh, just work in the hearts of those who are under my voice, Lord, that you would convict us and that you would show us uh, what's actually going on inside of our hearts, Lord. I pray that if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, that they would repent and turn to you, Lord. In the same way, I pray there's anybody here that is far from you, yet knows that they have a loving Father, that they would also repent of their ways and that they would come into a right relationship with you, God. God, I love you and thank you for all you do. Christ's name, amen. Look at verse 25 with me. I'm going to just read real quick. Verse, I'm going to start verse 25. We're going to go to verse 28. In Luke chapter 15, verse 25. Let's see. The Bible says, Now his elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father has killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe, and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. So as we come to verse 25, we're at the back half of the father's reception of the younger son that we saw last week. We saw last week that as the prodigal returned from his riotous, wicked living, the father ran out and embraced him and accepted him. We saw that the father gave him a robe, he gave him a ring, he gave him sandals, and he killed the fatted calf and said, let's have a party because my son that was lost is now found. So meanwhile, while this party is beginning and while there's a celebration at the home, 
of the, of the return of the younger son. We see this elder brother is out in the field doing his father's business. He's being faithful to what he's always done. He's, he's doing his chores, he's doing his duty. And as he's out in the field, he's coming to the end of his day and it's getting dark out. So it's time to, you know, put the, put the oxen up and the head back home. And as he starts to head home, he hears a commotion at the house. And I'm sure he's like, what in the world is going on? So he probably walks a little bit quicker to see what's going on. And as he starts to get closer to the house, he starts to hear the faint sound of, Maybe drums playing and trumpets blowing and there's this music that's coming from the house and there's even so many people that are celebrating in the house that he can hear them dancing. I mean, just imagine the confusion on this older brother's mind. He's probably thinking to himself, what, what, what's happening, right? He's probably thinking, you know, whose, whose birthday is it? Is it mom and dad's anniversary? Nobody told me this morning when I left that there was going to be a party at home. Like, what's, going on. And so we see that as he gets closer to the house, he sees one of his father's servants. So in a confused state, he calls over, he says, hey, come here. So he asks the server, you know, what? what's, what's happening? Why is there a party going on? And the servant looks at him and says, your brother is back home. And because your brother is back home, your dad told us to light the grill up, to kill the fatted calf, and we're having a party. Like, aren't you excited? Come on in with us and celebrate. The servant's probably looking at him like, 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 come on, you know, join us in this party. And for those of us that, um, or especially those of us that are older brothers, we see this story, and we would think that the natural response of this older brother would be, yeah, let's go. Like, I would run in. If my little brother had left from the family, had disbanded us, and came back to a right relationship with us, I would hope that, that, that when he came back, that I would be like the father and running to him and throwing my arms over him and being excited and jubilant that my brother that was lost has came home. But instead, we see that in response to his brother coming home, this older brother is angry. He's upset. I can imagine him reasoning in his mind, you know, maybe kind of moving back and forth, pacing back and forth, you know. I know that I should be happy, but I'm not. I'm angry. I'm disappointed. What's he doing back home? He already took all of dad's money. He wasted all of, all of the resources that dad gave him. Everything that's left is mine. He took everything he has. He's not welcome back home. Now that he's down, now that he's down and out, he's wasting everything he wants to return. No, that's not okay. At a time when this older brother should have been jumping with joy at the return of his younger sibling, he's seething with rage. The older brother begins to grumble at the grace that God, or that the father has extended to the younger son. He begins to reason with himself that that's not fair, that's not right. That father would accept him back. That father would throw this celebration for him because there was grace extended to his younger brother that he didn't think deserved it. He was angry. Just like the Pharisees that were accusing Jesus, this older brother was, was upset that his father accepted, embraced, and celebrated 
repentant sinners coming home. And as we look at this older brother, not only was he angry, but he was angry to the point that he refused to be a part of the celebration that was going on. He refused to be a part of something good that was happening. This was a good thing that his brother came home. There was nothing wrong with this other than his own feelings and the way he felt. But because of his anger, he said, I'm not going in there. You know, I wonder this morning how many of us have been there before. How many of us, like the older brother, find it hard to rejoice when sinners are saved because maybe we feel threatened? How many of us don't get excited when people come into the church because we think maybe we're going to start to lose power and control? What about this? How many of us don't care about God's will being done in the church if it runs counter to our own agenda. That's what was happening here. It was something that was good. It was something that should have been exciting. It was something that he should have been a participant in. But because he didn't agree with it, not because it was wrong, but because he did not agree with it, he refused to go in. How often do, because we don't necessarily like what's going on, do we grow bitter? Do we become angry and refuse to be a part of a work that God may be doing? Because we don't like the song, we refuse to sing it. Because we don't like the curriculum, we refuse to teach. Because we have bitterness and anger towards a brother or sister in Christ, we refuse to participate in a certain ministry. This older brother was bitter, he was angry had his younger brother. You know, if that is, if you feel like that has been you before, maybe you're here today and maybe there's some bitterness and some anger in your heart towards somebody and you feel justified in it, know that you're not the first one to feel that way. But also know that God has a lot in his word to say about bitterness and anger towards others. And this could be a whole entire sermon on itself. And I'm not going to delve that deep into it, but I do want to just share just some of some of what God tells us from his word about the bitterness and anger that we harbor within our own hearts. In 1 John 4.20, the Bible says, if, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love his God whom he has not seen? 1 John 2.9, he who says, he is in the light and hates his brother, is in darkness. In Matthew 5, when we see the Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus constantly points towards the innards of man. And, and Jesus says that if you have hate for your brother, that you're a murderer. He equates hate in our heart for others to murder in the same way that he equates lust to adultery. Because that's what it comes down to. It comes down to the root of it. What is the root of the sin in your heart? Rather than being bitter and angry, we need to be like Ephesians 4 calls us for. Ephesians 4.31, the Bible says, To let all bitterness, all wrath, all anger, all clamor, all evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And you know, the thing about bitterness, the thing about anger, especially with other people, is that bitterness is a slow poison that will sour your soul and steal 
your joy. Think about it as this older brother is outside with his arms crossed, pouting. He's got a grudge against his older brother. He's on the outside. While he is bitter and angry, everybody else is inside dancing. And that's what bitterness will do to you. Bitterness will still your joy. When you refuse to partake in the joys of God, listen, you're not hurting anybody but yourself. So as his older brother stands outside with his arms crossed, his lips sticking out, grumbling over the grace that his little brother has received, this loving father that we've already seen peeks out the window and he sees him. And the Bible tells us that he goes out to the older brother, and he pleads with him, son, come inside. Son, come home. And son, I love you. Son, be a part of what is happening. I love that the same paternal passion that was extended towards the younger brother, the same wrapping and embracing of the arms around the younger brother has now, in this part of the, of the story, been extended towards the older brother as well, what Jesus is showing us is that whether you're the younger brother or the older brother, whether you're self-righteous or you're, or you're just straight up rebellious, that we're all in need of a father that lovingly embraces and restores us. The older, the, the, or the, the father chases after the younger son, he, or he runs to the younger son in the same way that now we see the father running to the older brother. As his father pleads with his son, look at verse 29 with me. In verse 29, the Bible says, and he answering, speaking of the younger son, so the father has came out to the younger son, he's pouting. He says, son, come inside. And the, and the, the younger son says to his father, lo, these many years I have served you, neither transgressed you at any time your commandment. And yet you have never gave me a kid or a goat is what he's saying. You've never given me a goat. That I make, that I might, excuse me, make merry with my friends. Just as this father pleads with his younger son, what we see is into the heart. And there's this, the younger son, or I'm sorry, the older son's response. We see into his heart, and that his heart is just as wicked and just as far from the father as the younger son's was. Just as the younger son wanted the things of the father, but not the father himself. The older brother wanted the things of the father but not the father himself. The only difference was that the younger son went out to chase after self-pleasure, and the younger son stayed at home hoping that, that he would be able to earn, and that he would be able to earn, and that there would be favor that would be merited to him because of what he had done. Look, the, the, the older son, when we look at this part of the text, we see that the older son, even though he may be a little mad about the, father, the son returning home, there's probably, he's probably like, what in the world are you doing here? We see that, that really at the root of it, the true anger that the, young, the older brother has for the younger son coming home is that the father celebrated a rebellious son, and he felt like he had never been celebrated before. He says, Father, I've done all these things. You've never given me a goat. Yet when this wicked son of yours comes back, you give him the fatted calf. Listen, there's a sense of entitlement on behalf of the boy's faithfulness. There's jealousy and envy. He says, he says, I'm the one that's been devout. I'm the one that stayed home. I'm the, I was just not working in the field, Father. He went out and ran away. He says, he doesn't deserve that. I do. 
He says, he says, I'm the one that takes care of you. I'm the one that runs the farm. Basically, what he says is, it's not fair. Once again, grumbling over grace. Upset that he feels like the younger son got something he didn't deserve. You know, as I read this text, I know that, I, well, I don't know about anybody else, but I can kind of find it easy to sympathize with this older brother. I mean, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, right? I mean, I know I got some people in here that know all the theological answers and, you know, that, that say, no, there's no way. But it's easy to say that until it's you in this situation. Because oftentimes you don't know that you're the older brother until you're asking God for something and something never comes. God, I'm faithful to church every Sunday. God, I give my tithe. God, I serve. God, I do whatever you want me to do. God, I've devoted my life to you. I've raised my kids the right way. I read my Bible. I do my devotions. And it seems that you've forgotten about me. Don't I deserve something? Shouldn't there be some type of reward for my faithfulness? It's so easy to, to have this attitude, to have this, 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 this inward desire that because of what I've done, I deserve something. The older son was angry because he was disappointed. He was upset. He didn't understand what exa- why exactly he felt like no favor had ever been given to him. Why? How come he never got blessed? God, I've been blessed. Oh, I'm sorry. God, I've been faithful. Yeah, I've never been blessed. You know, my, my, my neighbor that doesn't know the Lord, my neighbor that lives wicked, he's pulling up in a boat with a new boat every single weekend, yet I'm the one that's faithful to church, and I don't even know how I'm going to make it to the end of the week. Can I tell you that anytime you look at the Father's love as something to be worked for and earned, anytime that you think that the love of the Father and the blessing is something that you can achieve, rather than it being a gift that is freely given, you'll always end up discouraged. Disappointment almost always leads to resentment when it's separated from gratitude. Disappointment almost always leads to resentment when it's separated from gratitude. See, the thing is, this boy failed to see all the things the father had done for him. He failed to see how good the father was to him. He failed to see that, 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 that all, everything on the farm was his. He failed to see that the father fed him every single day. The father gave him a place to live, but there was no sense of gratitude for that. Like I said before, the older brother was guilty of the same sin of the younger brother. The father was not enough for him. If you cannot see that the father is enough, you will never be satisfied. You know, there's probably some of you in here that haven't enjoyed life in a long time because you're mad. Rather than thanking God for what he's done, you're upset and you're disappointed with God because of what he hasn't done. You've mastered the art of counting other people's blessings other than your own. Some of us in here need to probably learn to say that, you know, I may not have everything that I want. I can say I don't have everything I want. You know, yeah, I may not have the call I want. I may not have the job I want. I may not have the clothes or, or my kids may not go to the school that I want them to go to. 
But I don't deserve what I do have. I don't deserve what God has given me. I don't deserve where I'm going. So therefore, Lord, whatever you bless me with, I am satisfied. Lord, whatever you do decide to give me, I am content. Listen, God doesn't owe us anything. That's what this younger son thought. He thought because of the acts that he had done, the father owed him. And in the same way, our father does not owe us a single thing. And because of that, we should be praising him for everything. The older brother was angry with the father and the brother because the father had given the younger son the feast that the older brother had always wanted. You know, what we see is that the elder brother was not faithful to the father out of pure love for the father. He was faithful to the father for selfish desires. He was faithful to the father because of what he thought the father could offer to him. And Christians, we've got to be careful because so often we can fall into that trap without even knowing it. When our motives become impure, when we do things out of duty and not out of love, or even when we do things out of guilt and not out of love, or even worse, when we do like this younger, like his older brother, and we do things because we expect something in return. This older brother was bitter, he was selfish, and he was arrogant. First off, let's look at verse 29 with me. Look at verse 29. Verse 29, the older brother says to his father, he says, All these years I've served you, and I've never transgressed at any time your commandment. This older brother has an overinflated image of himself. He says, Father, all these years that I've served you, and I've never done anything wrong. How easy is it to, to, to quickly forget about the grace and the forgiveness that God has extended to you. I mean, really, you've never done anything wrong. So quickly he forgot. I'm sure there's been plenty of times where the father has forgiven the older brother for something he did, where the father has restored the older brother for something he did. But now that, not, but now that his younger brother did this big sin, now all of a sudden those, those, those little sins that he may have done become non-existent. Because not only does he have an overinflated view of self, but when we look at verse 30, in verse 30 he says, but as soon as thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. So not only does he have an overinflated image of himself, not only is he saying, I don't sin, but he's saying, yet, your son. He says, you know, I've never transgressed, I've never transgressed you. I've never sinned against you. But this, this son of yours, he goes and He's been with, with, with prostitutes and harlots, and he's wasted all of your money. You know, the older son got, got real good at pointing his finger at other people rather than looking inward at himself. The ultimate sin of the older brother, the ultimate sin of the Pharisees during Jesus' day was that they failed to recognize the filth within their own hearts. They, were, they outwardly appeared righteous, but inwardly, the Bible tells us that they were full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Listen, don't be more concerned with outer purity than you are with the purity of your heart. Yes, outer purity is a good thing. Yes, we should look like Christians. We should behave like Christians. But more important, inside of our hearts, we should be Christians. 
So often we become like the hypocrites in Matthew 7. In Matthew 7, we see the hypocrite who was quick to point out the splinter in the eye of somebody else. This person had a little splinter in his eye, and the whole entire time, this guy is pointing fingers with a log in his own eyes. It's so easy to judge other people, to talk about what somebody else is doing wrong, to look at how, how somebody else is failing and somebody else is far from God. Yet we have our own issues in our own life, but we fail to see it. Or like the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18, who goes to the temple and he literally prays out loud. He says, I thank God that I'm not like them. I'm not like the cheaters. I'm not like the sinners. He says, and I'm certainly not like that tax collector. Church, we've got to be careful that we never get to a point, no matter how long you've been saved, no matter how holy of a life you do live, we should try to live a holy life. But we should always be doing an inward reflection of ourselves. We should always be seeking and asking God, Lord, is there something in me? Show me, is there, is there, is there hypocrisy in my heart? Is there hatred in my heart? Is there bitterness in my heart? We should never get to the point where we feel like we're basically perfect, where we really have nothing to ask for repentance for. And even more so, we should never get to the point where we think that our sins are smaller than somebody else's sins. We become professionals at pointing out the sins of others. Yet, we never repent of the sins that we have in our own life. You know, the thing is, as long as we think that we have something to boast about before God, we will never see a need for turning to God in repentance. It's only just like the younger son. It's only when you recognize that all of your good deeds are as filthy rags. It's only when you recognize that there is none righteous, no, not one, no matter how good you tried to be. It's only when you recognize that you are a sinner in need of a Savior that you will turn to God in repentance. This man, older brother, thinks that his obedience justifies him before the Father just as the Pharisees thought that their self-righteousness justified them and made them right before God. In verse 31 and 32, we see that even after being blasted by the older brother, even after being you know, uh, attacked with words by this older brother, we see the gentle response of the father. It's, it's, it's interesting because you know, I, I could imagine if I was this, Father, just like at the beginning with the younger son. With the younger son, give me your inheritance. Boy, get back up to your room, you know? And then here we see this, this older brother says to the father, I'm not coming inside. You know, this father, you know, we think, ain't going by your ear, you're going inside whether you like it or not. But that's not what the father does. The father goes to him and he pleads with him. He shows mercy and grace to him and he gives him an option. And then we see his response in verse 31 and 32. In verse 31 and 32, he says, the father says to the son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was a meat that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. Look, listen, this, this father is saying to this younger son, he's saying, listen, son. He says, you're with me forever. He says, I know that you're a good son. I know that you're a loyal son. I know that you're a devout son. And everything that I have belongs to you. 
He says, the reason that you didn't get a fatty calf was because you never asked me for a fatty calf. So the fact, he said, everything that's here is yours. You should have just asked for it. And then he says, but listen, a celebration was in order. After all, look at what happened. He says, your little brother was dead, but he's now alive. He was lost, but I've now found him. It's almost as if the father lovingly and graciously says to this older son, what in the world are you complaining about? Why are you not happy? Why are you not excited? This is what Jesus said to the Pharisees. Why are you complaining? Why are you not excited that, that sinners are being accepted, that they're being brought into the fold of God? Instead of complaining, you should be celebrating. You should be in here with us. You should be a part of it. You should be a participant of the work that is going on in this house. You should be celebrating that your brother has been redeemed and that he has been restored. As we come to this end of this text, it's, this text is interesting because Jesus leaves us with a cliffhanger. Did the older brother repent and go back into the house? Did he stay outside with his arms crossed and said, I want nothing to do with it? You know, we have... No idea. Jesus doesn't tell us. And by not telling us, it's almost as if Jesus is saying to the Pharisees that he's speaking to. And as he's saying to us today is, look, now it's up to you. You know, when I was when I was little, we used to have choose your own ending books. I don't know if anybody else ever read those. I just love them. And you'd come to a page and it would say, if you want to go right, go to page 88. If you want to go left, go to page 95. That's kind of what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, listen, I've shared with you. Now take what I've given you and decide what you want to do. He says, you know, this is the way you are before God. He said, God loves you, but your selfish, self-righteous, self-justifying spirit has put you in a far country. And unless you're ready to see yourself as a sinner who is in need of saving as somebody that needs to respond to the love of God, you'll remain where you are, outside, and not in. Can I plead with all of us in here today? Don't be the elder brother. Don't be the one who would rather nurse your anger than enjoy the fellowship of God and God's people. Who because... You're not willing to forgive, alienate yourself from the church and even from your family. The one who is sure that, that everyone else is wrong and that everything you do is right. Don't be the one that talks loudly about the sins of others but is blind to your own sins. Don't be the one who follows God from a sense of duty or a sense of, of I need to earn something and not from a heart of love. And most importantly, don't be in church but not in Christ. You know, this older brother grumbled over the grace that had been extended to his younger brother. You know, I think often Christians forget that we are in need of just as much grace as the person that doesn't know God is. Oftentimes, I think that the, you know, the verse quoting, the, the guy, person who knows every, everything of Scripture, you know, all the songs in the hymn book, oftentimes we are in need of more grace. 
because we can get that conflated attitude and we need God to remind us you're no better than they are. You were lost and I found you the same way that I do with them. If that is you here this morning, can I tell you that there is a loving Father who is pleading with you to repent of your self-righteous ways and return to Him. The older brother followed the rules at home, assuming that it would give him favor in the house with his father. And in our churches, there's far too many people like this older brother who are doing nothing more than following the rules of the church, yet their hearts and life are far from Christ. Some of you may remember last week uh, when we talked about when the younger brother came and asked for his inheritance. I, I believe I told you guys this. If not, you're going to learn now. So when the younger brother came and asked for his inheritance, because there was two brothers, the, the older brother would always be giving a double portion of the inheritance. So the younger brother would have got one-third of the inheritance. The older brother would have got two-thirds of the inheritance. The purpose of this was that as the older brother, you were basically the one that, if anything happened, you were in charge. So with this two-thirds inheritance, it would have been expected of this older brother to take this extra money that he had and chase after his younger brother and restore him. Yet in Luke 15, we see that the younger brother never chases after or the older brother never chases after the younger one. But when we turn to Luke 24, we see an older brother who does come down and who does pay a price to bring the younger brother home. Can I tell you that Jesus lived a life we couldn't live. Jesus died a death that we should have died in order to pay a price that we could not pay. And because of that, that is the only way that we are able to be restored into fellowship with God. That is the only way that we are able to be forgiven of our sins is through faith in the blood and work of Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're depending, if, if you were standing before God right now, if something happened tragically, you died. You're standing before God, and God said, why should I let you in? If your answer begins with I, you need to repent and turn to God. Because it's nothing that you can do. The only answer that God will accept at that day is Jesus. Nothing you've done but all that he's done. Listen, if you're lost today, are you going to stay out or are you going to come in? There's an open invitation. We look at the last five, four or five, four weeks now that there is a Savior who seeks and saves, who embraces, who forgives, who restores, that wants you to be in fellowship with him, that wants you to come home, that wants you to have a right relationship with him. And if you are in, but things aren't right, are you going to stay outside and pout? Or are you going to get in on what the Lord is doing? Edge about and eyes closed. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day you've given to us today. God, God, I pray that the word that was shared today, Lord, would just convict hearts. 
Lord, that, that there would be, uh, that we would not listen and just for information, but that there would be transformation in our hearts and minds. Or if there's anybody in here like the elder brother, Lord, that's guilty of being in the church but not being in Christ, that's guilty of following all the rules, being a good boy,